Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night Parashat Shavua class. We're glad that you're joining us either live or somewhere around the world listening to this on our podcast in a recording. Thank you for choosing to listen to the words of Torah that we are saying tonight. Tonight's shiur is sponsored by Mr. Jack Esses and family in memory of Mrs. Susie Esses, Zichronai Vracha, Suad Bat Hasiba, and as well, Mr. and Mrs. Danny Chai, in memory of his brother Yitzchak Aryechai, Zichronoli Vrachati, Nafsham Tzurabi Tzorah Chaim. May the words of Torah that we say tonight be an aliyah to their respective Neshamot, and the family should see much Nahat from the, from the words that we say tonight. Tonight, what can I say? We have lots of things to talk about. We're going to progress slowly into what seems to be an innocent conversation in the beginning of the parasha between Yaakov and Esav. And I invite you to join me on this ride. And there's going to be a bit of something for everyone tonight. There's going to be some things on a more beginner level. And then if you hold on with me and hold on tight, we'll really, really dive uh, deeper into what is actually happening at the start of this week's parasha, this conversation between Yaakov and and Isav, his brother. After not having seen his brother for many years, Yaakov Avinu returns with his entire family and household and intends to appease Isav. And we're going to focus on this initial conversation between the brothers at this historic encounter. The Pasuk tells us in the Rishon of this week's parasha, And Isav met Yaakov, he looked up and he saw his wives and his children. And he asked, Who are these people? Who are these wives? Or who, who is this in front of me? Yaakov Avinu responded, He said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. 22 years has passed since that fateful Pesach night on which Yaakov had entered his father's tent dressed in Esav's clothing and he received the blessings that Yitzchak had intended to bestow upon Esav and fearful that Esav would kill him on account of that trickery, Yaakov was compelled, he had no choice but to fear for his life and run away to Haran. And now, after 22 years, Yaakov returns to Eretz Israel and again intends to appease his brother with many gifts. And the first question that Esav asks his brother after 22 years is, Mi elelach, who are these to you? Referring to his wives and his children. And Yaakov replies succinctly, These children, Hayladim asher chanan elokim et avdecha, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And we can only imagine all the things that these two brothers talked about at this encounter. Yet, these two brief questions are what the Torah chose to relate to us. That's it. So therefore, it's important for us to figure out what is conveyed in this conversation. And to unveil the message, to unveil this deep message, we have to explore some of the works of our Rishonim and Aharonim, our sages who spoke about this. To begin, we're going to start with the Ramban. The Ramban was Rav Moshe ben Nachman, the great sage, one of the Rishonim. 
And he expresses uh, a concern about Esav's question and Yaakov's response. The narrative says he looked up and he saw the women and the children. And presumably when Esav asks, who are these to you? He is referring to both the women and the children. Yet Yaakov Avinu responds and he only addresses the children. He says, the children who, are, who God has graciously given your servant. Why doesn't he mention the wives? So the Ramban answers that Yaakov chose not to mention the, the women out of concern for modesty and propriety. So by only mentioning the children, it would be obvious to Esav that the women were his wives and the, mother, the mothers of his children. We're going to go deeper in this later on in the Shi'ur. We want to explore a little bit more, a little bit deeper, the moral implications of Esav's question and Yaakov's response. There is a Mishnah in Perkei Avot. The Mishnah says, in the third chapter of Perkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, Ten lo mishelo, she'ata veshelcha shelo. Give him from what is his. For you and yours belong to him. Veken bedavid hu omer, and so it is said of David, ki mimecha hakol, umiyadecha natanu lach. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. The author of this Mishnah is admonishing us to dismiss the misguided perception that there are things in this world that actually belong to us. Instead, it is essential for us to recognize that you and yours belong to Him, Him being HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, everything in our possession comes from God. And we can suggest that HaKadosh Baruch Hu conveyed this message to Avraham Avinu after he shattered his father's idols. He wanted Avraham to understand that it's not enough just to abstain from the actual practice of idol worship, but it's also necessary to sanctify one's thought process by eliminating the false perception that there are things that truly belong to us. And thus, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Avraham, Lech Lecha, specifically those words, Lech Lecha, abandon the misguided belief and perception that there are things that belong to you, Lecha. Lech, move away from the Lecha, move away from this idea that things belong to you. Specifically, you have to abandon the idol worship that is prevalent in your country, your birthplace, your father's home, the belief in man's power, the idolatry in that. Instead, you go to the land that I will direct you to, which is Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. And the, because the Kedusha, the holiness in that land, inculcates in a person the truth that everything he possesses is not actually his, but belongs to God. It's apparent that this is the vital message that is conveyed by the Torah in Parashat Ekev. There, the Torah warns us, Moshe Rabbeinu warns his people in his final message before he dies. And he says, Hishamer Lecha, take care not to be swayed and influenced by this evil shell called Lecha. Take care of that. What, because if you don't, the Torah elaborates, Pentochal Vesavata, 
Ubatin tovim tivnevi yashavta. Your numerous possessions and wealth. You will make you susceptible and vulnerable to this klipa. What will happen as a result when you think everything belongs to you? You will become haughty. You will become arrogant. And you will forget your God. Hashem, your God. Then you're going to start believing in your heart. It's because of my strength and my power that I attained everything that I own. So therefore the Torah tells us in that same parasha, you have to remember Hashem your God, He is the one who provides the lecha. He's the one who provides for you the ability to accumulate wealth. So maybe we can suggest that Esav Harasha, who was a total heretic, who worshipped idols, believed solely in the power of man, intended to inculcate Yaakov, his brother, the misguided notion of kochi ve'otzem yadi, that the idea that my success and wealth are is what attributes to my strength and my, um, again, my success and my work. So when Esav saw the abundant possessions, including the sheep and the cattle, thousands that Yaakov amassed over the years in Lavan's house, that Yaakov brought with him. His first question was, Mi ele lach, using that specific word, lach. Who are these to you? He specifically employed the word lach, implying that Yaakov had acquired all of his wealth due to his own abilities. And Yaakov Avinu perceived this poison and danger concealed in the question. And he replied very quickly and succinctly, These are the children who God has graciously given your servant. I am the grandson of Abraham Avinu. I am the grandson of a person who listened to the command of Lech Lecha, to move away from this concept of Lecha. I don't believe in that concept. I recognize that everything comes, everything that I've accomplished and acquired is not by natural means. It's not due to my own strengths or my abilities. Even the children I have are gifts from God. But Esav didn't give up. Esav does not give up when he hears Yaakov's response. He wanted to continue, and he persisted. So what does he say? Vayomer, And he says, Who is this entire camp that I met to you? And again, he uses that word, lecha. What does Yaakov respond? He replied, You want to know the camp to gain favor in my Lord's eyes. I brought all of this to please you. And I can part from all of it very easily just for the sake of making peace with you. You know why? Because they're not truly mine. They belong to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He gave them to me to use as needed. So what does Esav respond? Here Yaakov is offering everything to give it to his brother. What does Esav respond? Yesh li rav, achi. I have plenty, my brother. Sounds a little bit Israeli. Yesh li rav, achi. I have a lot, my brother. Yehi lecha asherlach. Let what you have remain yours. Again, look what he, word he employs. Lecha. 
Esav expressed the fact that he was willing to forego all of Yaakov's gifts because his sole aim was to infect his brother with the false, misguided mindset of Lecha, that everything you do is attributed to yourself. And to this end, that's what Esav says, Yeshli I also have abundant wealth and possessions. They belong to me, Yeshli I have it because I acquired them on my own and my abilities. Therefore, since you're my brother, you have to adopt my philosophy. Whatever you have is yours too. You own it. You gained the ability. You earned it and acquired it with your own hands. And once again, Yaakov eludes the poison and the pitfall. And he says, Please accept my tribute, my gifts, which was brought to you. I know that you will view these gifts as lecha, belonging to you, because you, Esav, you're a non-believer. I, I don't believe in the doctrine of lecha. I believe wholeheartedly that everything that I possess was given to me due to the pure grace of God and was not acquired on my own. In fact, maybe this is the meaning of the famous pasuk, Zachor et Asher Asa Lecha Malek, that we read twice a year, once Parashat Kitese and then another time before Purim. Remember what Amalek did to you, Asher Asa Lecha, again that word Lecha Amalek. Remember that Amalek attempted to infect you with this evil shell of Lecha. He wanted you to believe in that idea, that notion that it's my strength and my hand that brought about my success. After all, he followed in the footsteps of his grandfather, Esav, who adopted that doctrine. So he also wanted to corrupt Yaakov's descendants. Yehi lecha sherlach, let what you have remain yours. In fact, it's not a coincidence that the numerical value of Amalek equals that of Ram which is haughtiness, veram levavecha, the pasuk that we quoted before, which is 240. Because the klipa, the evil shell of Amalek, inculcates in a person haughtiness and false pride. Veram levavecha, you will become haughty, veshachtat Hashem, and you will forget God. This is one version of the exchange. And in it itself is a tremendous lesson that we should always move through life with this idea, never believing that whatever we attain, whatever mass we, whatever wealth we accumulate uh, over the course of our lifetime is because of something that we did. It's all because of HaKadosh Baruch who wanted us to have that wealth and that health. It is on, it is on Him totally. And the moment a person thinks it's Kohi Ve'otzem Yadi, Chas Shalom, he's falling into the trap of Esav and Amalek. Rapin Chas Friedman Shlita has a beautiful chidush regarding the same question of Esav and Yaakov's response. And in by explaining it, we also will reconcile the question that we started with with the Ramban, which is why did Yaakov only answer Esav to, with regards to the children, but not with regards to the wives? There is a Gemara that talks about Rabbi Chia. Rabbi Chia was one of the Tanaim of the Mishnah, Poor guy, he didn't have such a good marriage life. The Gemara relates that his wife would aggravate him constantly. But nevertheless, he was committed to the marriage. 
and uh, he loved his wife. And whenever, the Gemara says, whenever he found an object that he felt she would like, he would wrap it in a piece of uh, cloth or in a nice ribbon or whatever and bring it to her as a sign of affection. So Rav said to Rabbi Chia, why do you do this for? She causes you so much grief, so much trouble. Why do you bring her gifts? And he replied, you want to know why? It is enough that they raise our children and save us from sin. That's the reason why. What that's what the what the wife of the house, the woman of the house does, they, she raises our children and saves us from sin. Rashi says, what does it mean save us from sin? Prevents us from having improper thoughts. That's what the wife does. That's how she prevents her husband from sin. So we see that a wife has two exemplary qualities to her. First, she bears our children and raises them. Second, she prevents us from having improper thoughts and from sinning. Now, let's talk about Yaakov for a moment. Yaakov didn't require a wife to prevent him from sinning because Yaakov was holy and pure even before he got married. Yaakov ishtam Yosef Alim. The Torah says it very clearly at the end of Sefer Bereshit that when Yaakov gives his blessings to his children before he dies, when he gives a blessing to Reuven, he says, Reuven, Bechori Ata, Kochi Bereshit Oni. You are, Reuven, you are my firstborn and my strength and my initial vigor. According to Rashi, this means Reuven was conceived from Yaakov's first drop of semen. Because Yaakov had never had a seminal emission his entire lifetime until he conceived Reuven at the age of 84. That's how holy Yaakov was. Now, Esav knew his brother very well. Since they grew up together in the father's house, he knew that his brother was tzaddik of all tzaddikim, holy and pure. Therefore, when he saw the wives that he had married, he was shocked. And the question that he posed was, who are these to you? You are pure, you're holy, you don't need a wife to protect you from sin. You're Ishtam Yosef Alim. Why did you bother even marrying these women? And Yaakov answered, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. In other words, I married this woman, these women not for the second reason because they prevent me from sin, but to fulfill the first reason. The first reason of Pruvu to father children. These are righteous women in their own right. And I'm certain that they are going to raise the children that God has blessed me with properly. So now maybe we can address the Ramban's question. When Esav saw the women and the children, he inquired about them both. He wanted to know what was the relationship with them to Yaakov. But Yaakov only responded about the children. There are two great rabbis that spoke about this as well, Rabbi Uda Asad and Rabbi Shimon Sofer, the son of the Hatam Sofer. And they both explain very similarly like this. The Pasuk tells us that Leah's eyes were rakot. rakot. This is from last week's parasha. Leah's eyes were tender. They were very soft. It looked like she was crying a lot. And Rashi explains that's exactly what happened. Because she was convinced that she had to marry Esav, the evil brother. Rivka had two sons. Lavan had two daughters. It was presumed that the older son, Esav, would marry the older daughter, Leah, and the younger son, Yaakov, would marry the younger daughter, Rachel. So the probability of that happening made Leah cry incessantly. 
And it was constant. It was abhorrent to her, knowing that she has to marry Esav. So when Esav saw that Yaakov had married both Leah and Rachel, and had children from both of them, he asked, who are these to you? Mi ele lach. Not coincidentally, the word ele is an anagram for Leah. They contain the same letters, they're just rearranged. Mi ele lach. So Esav's question to Yaakov was, I understand you marrying Rachel. She's the youngest, you're the youngest. She was designated for you. But why did you marry Leah, who was designated for me? And now, maybe we can understand Yaakov's response differently. She, he answered, well, The children who God has graciously given your servant. The Gemara says in Masechet Kiddushin, Whoever marries a woman that is not suitable for him, and not only that, Whoever marries a woman for the sake of money, for financial gain, will have children, God forbid, who are unworthy. This teaches us that the best test to determine whether or not a man married a proper suitable woman is to examine the children. Look at the children. If the children are good, proper, upstanding people, it's a sign that a man chose a proper wife. And that's the implication of Yaakov's response to Esav. The children whom God has graciously given your servant are proper and upstanding. And this proves to you, Esav, that it was ordained from above that I should marry Leah. In fact, six of my sons came from her. And therefore, Leah was also designated to be my wife to complete the 12 Shevatim. Let us refer back to what Yitzchak says to Esav two weeks ago after realizing that he gave the brachot to Yaakov. Yitzchak says to Esav, ta'avod. Listen, you're going to serve your brother. Vehaya ka'asher tarid. However, you should know one thing, Esav. When it shall be that when you will be aggrieved, ka'asher tarid, uparakta ulo you can remove his yoke from upon your neck. Rashi sees this word tarid and he comments on it. And he says the word tarid is an expression of pain and distress. In other words, Yitzchak wants to say, when the Jews will transgress the laws of the Torah, and you will have a claim to be aggrieved over the brachot that Yaakov took from you, then you can remove his yoke. In other words, Yaakov gets the brachot when his descendants are behaving properly and fulfilling the Torah and the precepts. But the moment that they're not fulfilling the Torah and the mitzvot, you can now come and remove the yoke from your neck. You now can take control. So Esav greets Yaakov for the first time after 22 years. And the Torah tells us that he looks up and he sees the women and the children. And he asks him, who are these to you? Mi elelach. And his question was, Esav realized that Yaakov married two sisters, Rachel and Leah, something that is not allowed in the Torah. And he was astounded. Mi elelach. Who are these to you? How did you do something in the Torah that is not allowed, that the Torah is going to prohibit in the future? This gives me cause to be upset, he says. 
It gives me a legitimate claim to the brachot. And therefore all the sheep and all the cattle that you brought as a gift are actually legitimately mine and they're not yours. So how does Yaakov respond to this? Here you have his brother claiming that you're, you did something against the Torah and everything you own is mine. And Yaakov Avinu says, oh, the, the children that God has graciously given to your servant. So for this, we have to delve a little bit deeper. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says, regarding the section in the Torah that deals with illicit marital relations. There, the Torah says that the Jewish people are warned against illicit relations to all types of non-Jews. That being the case, Yaakov Avinu married two sisters, something that is clearly prohibited in the Torah. How can he do so? And the rabbis want to answer that since Abraham Avinu, his grandfather, observed all the mitzvot in the Torah, he and his descendants were no longer bound by the laws of Bnei Noach. They were no longer bound by the sons of Noach, but now they were bound by the laws of Israel, Israel. They considered themselves Jews. Now, Rachel and Leah were born to a man named Betuel HaArami, and they were not bound by Jewish law, these two girls. So therefore, before marrying them, Yaakov actually had to convert them to Jewish to Judaism. Halachically, two sisters that converted to Judaism are actually not related to one another. Ger shenitkayer kekatan shenolad dami. Gemara Yevamot says a non-Jew who converts is considered like a newborn child, meaning the parents are their bio- biological parents, but siblings are not technically siblings. And therefore, according to this interpretation, Yaakov didn't do anything wrong. He didn't transgress any prohibition because they, these two girls converted. They were not part of the Yisrael until Yaakov converted them, and now they're no longer halachically sisters. They're biological sisters, but they're not halachically sisters. The problem with this is, this is only valid, this answer is only valid according to the people who hold that Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov had the status of Israel prior to Matan Torah. But there are many, many rabbis that say that Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov did not have that status. Although they learned the Torah and they knew the Torah, but they had the status of Bnei Noach, the sons of Noach. And if they had the status of Bnei Noach, then it was not possible to convert the two sisters and treat them like Jews because they don't have the status of Jews yet. You can't convert someone to Judaism if you don't have the status of Jews. In that case, how did Yaakov marry two sisters? We wanted to work on all levels. There is a Midrash, a very confusing Midrash that I want to share. The Midrash says that Abraham Avinu was only saved from the fiery furnace in Ur-Kasim, when he was thrown in by Nimrod, in the merit of Yaakov. He was only saved in the merit of Yaakov. Avram was condemned to be burned alive by the evil Nimrod, but God saw, he foresaw, that Yaakov was destined to come from him. And he said, it is worthwhile to save Avraham 
in the merit of Yaakov. And that's why this is the meaning of one of the Pesukim we have in Yeshayahu that talks about the Pasuk writes, Lachen Hashem el Yaakov, so God said to the Bet Yaakov, Asher Pada et Abraham, who redeemed Abraham. So we see here clearly Yaakov redeemed Abraham. The commentaries are totally perplexed by this Midrash. Abraham Avinu was the first person to publicize the presence of God in this world. The founder of monotheism. He withstood 10 trying tests. The most difficult of that, sacrificing his son, an Akedat Yitzchak. He was, without a doubt, Abraham prepared to slaughter his son, whom he fathered at the age of 100. How can we say that he didn't deserve to be saved on his own merit, but only saved in the merit of his grandson, Yaakov. What does this mean? So, to answer this question, we need to know some rules. There are rules that the Rambam codifies on the laws of whether or not a person should or should not give up his life if a non-Jew is threatening him to perform a sin. And we know there are three sins that a person is yehareg ve'al yavor. A person has to give up his life and not commit. Those are gilu yarayot, that's adultery. Then there's shfichut damim, murder, and avodah zarah, idol worship. Not in that order, but those are the three. Anything that doesn't fit in that category, if someone, if a non-Jew comes and tells you uh, on Sukkot, don't shake that lulav or I'm going to kill you, you don't shake the lulav. You don't, you don't take the bullet. That's not one of the three cardinal sins. However, if anyone tells you to transgress something and don't sacrifice your life, if it's a mitzvah that we're supposed to, tra- sorry, if there's a mitzvah that we're supposed to transgress and not to sacrifice your life, but we choose to sacrifice our life, if that guy decided to take the bullet to the head and, and, and not shake the lulav, he is held accountable for his life. Who are you to give up your life for lulav? It's not one of the three cardinal sins. You have no right to do that. He transgressed the admonition in the Torah. I will demand the blood of your souls. You can't do that. You got to live. So while it's true, Abraham observed all the mitzvot in the Torah before he was commanded to do so, that only allowed him to accept the stringencies upon himself. It did not allow him to sacrifice his life for the sake of the sanctity of Hashem. Why? Because he had the status of Ben Noach. Ben Noach was not commanded to sacrifice his life. In fact, he's not allowed to sacrifice his life. So it turns out, legally speaking, Abraham was not allowed to sacrifice his life for the sake of Kiddush Hashem. And therefore, since he did not act in accordance of the law, he didn't deserve salvation in his own right but only in the merit of Yaakov. Now, what is the merit of Yaakov? It's hard to imagine that Avraham Avinu didn't abide by the letter of the law, and therefore was only saved in the merit of Yaakov. So how do we explain this? The world stands on three things. Famous Mishnah and Perkei Avot. Al HaTorah ve'al Avodah ve'al Gemilut Chasadim. The world stands on Torah. It stands on service, which nowadays is prayer, and it stands on loving kindness. And the Zohar on this Mishnah Perkei Avot explains, Torah is Yaakov, 
Avoda is Yitzchak, service is Yitzchak, and Gmilut Chasadim, kindness, of course, is Abraham Avinu. What do we see? That Yaakov is the pillar of Torah. As such, he has the power to determine the halacha in any Torah-related issue. One of the ways that we expound Torah, we read it every morning, in early in the morning, in our Shachrit prayers, is when you have two passages that contradict each other, you, you need a third passage, a third pasuk, to appear and reconcile them. We, we say, We say this every morning before Hodu. We have here two ideas that contradict each other. Midat Chesed, Chesed is represented by Abraham, and Midat Din, judgment, strict judgment, to another viewpoint that contradicts that of Chesed. Midat Chesed means we make every effort possibly to judge a person leniently. I love him. I want to, I want to treat him with kindness. Midat Adin is the opposite. We judge a person by the strict letter of the law. The middle, the balance, is the Tif Eret. Tiferet is amalgamation of chesed and din. Represents a third viewpoint that reconciles these. The third one puts them all together. And that's why the third one determines the outcome. The halacha accords with the viewpoint of the determiner. Avraham is chesed. Yitzchak is gvura, strict judgment they represent two viewpoints that oppose each other. Only until Yaakov arrives, and he's Midati Ferret, which is the combination of Chesed and Din, and that what determines the outcome. Therefore, the Halacha accords with Yaakov. Not Abraham, not Yitzchak, but Yaakov. Because Yaakov is the pillar of Torah, who reconciles the differences between Abraham and Yitzchak. So now we can justify the actions of Avraham Avinu. We could argue that he acted appropriately when he jumped into the furnace, sacrificed his life in the fiery furnace, Kiddush Hashem. Because from the moment he accepted upon himself to abide by all the mitzvot in the Torah, he relinquished his status of Ben Noach. No longer is he a son of Noach. Now he, is, he has adopted upon himself the status of Yisrael. Not only is a Yisrael, a Jew, permitted to sacrifice his life for Kiddush Hashem when someone is threatening him with idolatry, he's obligated not to idol worship. He's obligated to give up his life. Yet, the problem is, at the time of his ordeal, the, def- the definitive halacha was not determined yet because Yaakov wasn't born. The, the status of the avot was in limbo. Were they bound to the sons of Noah, and therefore they're not allowed to give up their life? Or are they bound to the sons of Israel? They're now Jews, and they have to give up their life. Abraham did not deserve to be saved in his own merit. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, however, knew that Yaakov Avinu was yet to be born. Yaakov was the pillar that was destined to descend from Abraham, that pillar of Torah. Yaakov married two sisters. Rachel and Leah, now we're going to connect everything we did tonight. Yaakov married two sisters, Rachel and Leah, which was clearly not allowed to a Ben Noach, not allowed to a son Noach, because son of Noach cannot convert two sisters into Judaism because you're not a Jew yet. 
Therefore, it was evident that he had converted them prior to marrying them because he was not a Ben Noach, he was a Yisrael. He adopted himself the status of a Jew. They were viewed now, these sisters, as newborn infants. And this demonstrates to us that Yaakov determined that prior to Matan Torah, the Avot, Abraham, Tzach, and Yaakov had the status of Yisrael. And consequently, it became apparent that when Abraham Avinu sacrificed his life for Kiddush Hashem, he acted appropriately. And this is what the Midrash says, Abraham was only saved from that furnace in the merit of Yaakov because Yaakov, the decisor, said, we are Jews, we are Israel, and therefore we are allowed, we must give up our life if threatened with idol worship. And this is Yaakov's response, Rabotai, listening live or later on on a recording. This is the meaning of Yaakov's response to Esav's question. The children whom God has graciously given your servant. HaKadosh Baruch Hu saved Abraham from the furnace in the merit of Yaakov. When Yaakov permitted himself to marry two sisters by converting them first, he ruled that the Avot, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov had the status of Jews. Nevertheless, his brother, his evil brother, his antagonist brother, Esav, could justifiably argue, who says that you were right, Yaakov? Who says that your ruling was correct? Who allowed you to marry these two sisters. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided proof that Yaakov and his ruling were right. How? From the fact that all of his children were righteous. Because we learned in the Gemara that we mentioned that a man who marries a woman who is not suitable or proper will not have proper, upright offspring. And that was the proof. This is the message of that pasuk in Yishaya. Ko amar Hashem el bet Yaakov. Therefore said Hashem to the house of Yaakov, Asher padait Avraham, who redeemed Avraham Avinu. Avraham was only saved from the burning furnace in the merit of Yaakov, who ruled that Avraham had acted in accordance with Halakha, because he had the status of Israel. Therefore God adds the following, Yaakov will not be ashamed now. His face will not pale now, the Pasuk in Yishayahu says, for having determined that it was permissible to marry the two sisters after their conversions. I continue the Pasukim. When he sees his children, my handiwork in their midst, who will sanctify my name, they will sanctify the God of Yaakov and revere the God of Israel. The fact that he merited having proper, upright children and descendants proves that his marriages were proper and in agreement with the Halakha. And this is the dialogue that Esav had with Yaakov. Esav sees his brother first time 22 years since that fateful Pesach night. And he looks up and he says, Mi elelach, who are these to you? 
Esav was asking Yaakov, how did you marry two sisters? Something that would ultimately be prohibited by Torah law. And he continued, and if you claim that you determined that you have the status of Yisrael and you are permitted to convert them, who says that your rendering of the halacha was correct? Maybe it wasn't correct. To which Yaakov answers, Hayladim asher chanan elokim et avdecha. The children whom God has graciously given your servant. The answer, the fact that God favored me with righteous, upright, straight, proper, righteous children proves that I was justified in marrying these women and then they are suitable wives because that's what suitable wives produce. Amazing, amazing children. It was one conversation that consisted of two questions, but those two questions really set forth the true history of Kal Yisrael from that moment to way back to Tam Avraham to where we are today. And today, we embrace the pillar of Yaakov Avinu. We embrace, we embrace the pillar of Torah. That's what carries us constantly. But, On either side, we still have the Chesed, we still have the Deen, but it's the pillar of the Torah. It's a Tiferet of Yaakov that helps us bring us. And we know that it's legit. We know that the way of Halakha is correct because of his 12 holy, holy sons and the millions of Jews that came forth from them the thousand years that follow. Have a wonderful night, everybody. See you soon.